0: pray and we can get started. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. Thank you for all these people, uh, young and old, that are coming together, Lord, uh, around your great name. And Lord, that's why we're here, to praise and worship and celebrate your great name uh, and and your continual help and grace for us all throughout our lives. So Lord, I pray that your name would be lifted high and that we would learn oh, so deeply, so intuitively, Lord, to run to you with all of our problems, all of our brokenness, that we would bring it before you and lean and depend closely on you with all of our lives. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. All right, we are in Psalm 124, so if you have a Bible and you're not there yet, feel free to turn there. And as John said earlier, we're starting a new series in Psalms as we're leading up to Easter that we're calling the Songs of Ascent. The Songs of Ascent is a title that's given to Psalms uh, 120 through 134. And these are psalms that Israelites would sing as they would travel to Jerusalem from all around Israel for annual feasts and festivals. And it's, uh, it's this uh, kind of this picture of how the Israelites are going uphill, uh, journeying and singing, kind of building anticipation and preparing their hearts for worship as they're going to the city on a hill to worship their God. And that's kind of the image there. And our hope for this series is that we would be able to embrace a similar posture uh, in this time leading up to Easter and be preparing our hearts for worship as well. Uh, because I know we don't, uh, we don't need to go to Jerusalem to worship God. We can worship Him here. So, uh, and we don't need to only worship Him on Passover. We're called to worship God all the time. But there's some merit, there's something good about being able to take uh, seasons or time in different parts of the year to just break some of your normal rhythms and prepare your hearts uh, for just worshiping God in a, just a deeper, more reflective, special way. And so that's kind of uh, my hope for this series uh, as we look through these psalms over the next few weeks. And uh, what we're going to do then is, is over the next month, each week we're going to look at one of the psalms of ascent that covers a different theme around preparing your heart for worshiping God. And we're going to read through that and think about how can this help us Um, prepare our hearts to to come together and be worshiping God in this season. So with that, this week we're looking at Psalm 124. And Psalm 124, uh, I've recently fallen in love with, as I was not on my radar before. Um, I knew there was a Psalm 124, I just didn't know what it was about, Uh, but uh, I, I love it. Psalm 124 is a song about survival. It's a Psalm of David, meaning King David wrote and sang this psalm, and and, and the rest of Israel kind of took it and added it to this group of the songs of ascent that they would sing for their annual trips to Jerusalem. And uh, David's, uh, in this psalm, David is imagining what would have happened to Israel without God's help. If God was still the God of Israel and Israel was still his people, but, but God did not help Israel and was just hands-off for their entire existence, what would have happened to Israel? And David's conclusion in this psalm, is that Israel would have been utterly destroyed. They would have been wiped off the face of the earth. And, and the implication is that not just would that have happened once, but really David seems to be talking about this continual theme of weakness and dependence on God in Israel's history that stretched back as far as their existence in the past and would continue to stretch forward in their existence. That apart from God's help, if God did not continue to help Israel, then they would not survive. And at the same time, David is confident, totally confident, that God will uh, forever preserve his people, that he is sovereign and mighty and will not let them be destroyed. So they're in this danger of, of destruction apart from God, and yet God will not let that happen. And that principle holds true for us as the people of God today, I think, that the people of God are so weak and so in danger of destruction and attack apart from God's help, but with God we know That won't happen. And so the big idea today is, in the face of overwhelming danger, God calls us to find our help in him. And we're going to see that as we look at three purposes in this psalm, three purposes that relate to preparing your hearts for worship. Uh, And those are that we would, one, realize the calamity that awaits us apart from God, two, remember God's continual protection over us, and three, that we would find our help in the Lord. And so with that, let's, let's jump in. Uh, purpose number one, that we would realize the calamity that awaits us apart from God. David writes in verse one, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. In this first line, David sets the subject of this psalm. What would have happened to Israel if they did not have God on their side? And he repeats it for emphasis, drives really ingrains this point at the beginning of the psalm. He says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us. And that word people is the most broad general name for it means humankind or mankind in, in Hebrew. And so it's, it's, the, it's the broadest people. And so he's not just talking about a few people. This, this, the image here is all people. And if you know anything about Israel's history, you know that's accurate, that Israel was this nation surrounded by enemies, constantly under threat of invasion and attack, often getting invasion, invaded and raided. And you can see, read all about it throughout the Old Testament. Israel surrounded by hostile enemies. So he says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when all people, this like, almost like the whole known world to them, is rising up against them, what would have happened? He's saying, anyone else, if anyone else besides God was on our side, if it had not been the Lord, but if it had been the nation of Egypt or the nation of the Philistines or, or you know the Canaanites or you know, whoever else, all these different peoples, all these different nations, any other ally, any other God, like the, the gods of, I think it's Dagon or Baal in the Old Testament, any other God from other nations on our side, any other worldview, any of these other things, if it was not God on our side, but anyone else, what would have happened? Here's what would have happened, he says. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. He's saying, we would have been utterly destroyed. It would not have been close. So it's not like, oh, like we would have made it, we would have showed up, made a good showing, put in a good fight, and at the end of the day, it just would have gotten away from us, like that wind from Tennessee last night, right? Go blue. Uh, no, like not at all. It would not have been close. They would have been utterly destroyed. Uh, they, would not have, they would not have even been close, uh, and, and they would have been swallowed alive. And so just to make sure that he's emphasizing this point and that we're getting this point about just the disparity of strength of how weak and helpless Israel was compared to the surrounding nations, David goes on in three different images to sing about how doomed Israel would be without God. Like, this is his Easter song. This is his Passover song. Like, this is, uh, this, this is what he's singing about. He continues in verse 4. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. So he's comparing their destruction to a flood, just absolutely obliterating whatever life and civilization was there, just getting swept away by this raging flood, this torrent. He says in verse 6, Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth, so now he's comparing the nations around Israel as wild beasts, and and if if they're like animals, and if Israel's an animal, Israel's the prey, and they're the predator. Like they're not. They're, it's not like Israel's like the lion among all the other nations. It's like no, like we're like the pigeon, and all the other. You know they're all like the cats that are coming to like attack us and get us. They're they're literally built, designed to eat us. He says in verse seven, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers or bird catchers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. And he compares them to a caged bird that is helpless to fly away, waiting to be eaten. A bird in a cage cannot unlock the cage. They don't have opposable thumbs. A bat, I don't know, maybe, if it's smart enough. A bird, no way, right? David repeats this point again and again with different images so that he and the Israelites and you and me and anyone else singing or hearing this song sung would get just how swift and sure and substantial Israel's downfall would have been without God's help. Not once, but over their history. And not just then, but probably for all of the future as well. So, in addition to the, uh, he, he's repeating this point again and again. And this, this psalm, it isn't some sweet, charming Easter song, right? He's not, this, he's singing about, it's, it's about survival. He's talking about if, if not for God continually helping us, we would be dead. That's seven out of eight verses. Like, I don't know if you paid attention, but like, those, we just covered almost this entire psalm. There's only one little verse left. So the entire song is David singing about how dead Israel would be without God. What kind of a song is that? Like, that's crazy. Think about that. I don't know, I don't know if you guys are into it, but I'm thinking maybe I can start a petition and get a lot of you to sign, we can send it around, and we'll we'll petition to get John, our worship leader, to find and include a song in our Sunday morning worship about how dead we would be without God. How cool would that be, right? We can sing it on Easter. If God, if not for you, we would be so, so dead. That's That's our song. <laughs> so, why Israel? Well, in addition to the power of the nations around them, what is it about Israel that that makes them so doomed, so so in, in danger, uh, I don't think it's just a coincidence. I don't think it's just that, oh, these other nations happen to have better weapons technology and more massive hordes of armies and things like that. Uh, I think there's also a spiritual component to this as well, that Israel was set up to be the people of God, to be the light of the world throughout the Old Testament, to be the nation through which God redeems the world by sending us Jesus Christ. And as such, the world existing in a state of rebellion against God is naturally going to oppose and resist Israel. And so I think in this psalm we can see not just the physical realities of these strong nations around Israel, but also a spiritual reality that that whatever forces exist that are opposing God and opposing his work on this earth are set against Israel. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that these strong nations are rising up around them and they're attacking them and there's all this constant threat of danger because I believe that that's what any enemy of God would want, to wipe his people off the face of the earth. You see it, I think, throughout the Old Testament. You see it in the, the, the little g-gods that these other nations worship, and I think that, that's not just some coincidence. It's not just a concept. They're not just a bunch of like atheists or agnostics. Like They actually believe in these real spiritual beings that they're worshiping, and and that they're wanting to obliterate obliterate the name of God off the face of the earth, as well as the people of God. And so, that first purpose of this psalm is that we would realize the calamity that awaits us apart from God, because as the church, we are part of the people of God today. And I believe that same threat, that same danger that faces Israel throughout the Old Testament that same danger faces the church today. That same opposition has not gone. It's still here. Paul talks about a spiritual war that is going on, right? That same, that same danger faces us today. Uh, Paul says, Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus warns prospective disciples to count the cost of following him. So I'm sure many of us were shocked. I was certainly incredibly shocked to see Russia invade Ukraine. But the reality is, we've been in a spiritual war every day of our faith. Amen? Amen. That's, that is absolutely real. That is absolutely the case. And I don't think the enemy wants us to see that. I don't think he wants us to know that. But that's just the truth of it, that we are in a spiritual war and that there is great danger, that there are enemy rifles trained on you to neutralize you as a threat or render your life ineffective for the kingdom of heaven. I know that seems like a bleak picture, and yet it's David's, most covered, most repeated point in this song. He is writing and singing that we would realize the calamity that awaits us every single day. And, and that's, that's, that's this point that he wants us to realize that I think also enhances our worship of God. Because if we don't understand and realize just how dependent on God we are, then we're not going to worship him like our lives depend on it. But that's the reality. It is our lives absolutely depend on God. God, we absolutely need him. And and I think when we see that danger, uh, that that would invite us or encourage us to just kind of inch a little bit closer to our Heavenly Father. Amen? So that's going to bring us to the second purpose of this song. uh, And that is this, that we would remember God's continual protection over us. So despite the scary reality of, of the danger that is facing the people of God, David, as he's singing this song, oh, we're so, so dead apart from God. David, is singing this song, is totally confident. Right? That, that, that wouldn't seem to make sense, but let's read what he says. He says in verse 6, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. So because the Lord has not given us, that's suggesting that the predator that would prey upon God's people Needs to get God's permission first because there's no predator that's going to come in and take a child of God, but rather they can only have what God allows them to have. So, how about that for a paradigm shift for how David is viewing the incredible danger and the forces that are coming against his nation? Verse 7, he continues, We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers, the snare is broken. And we have escaped. And I don't know the last time before today I've ever heard the term fowler, but it's somebody who's trying to catch fowl or birds. So we were caught uh, like birds, but now we are free. And not only are we free, but he says the snare is broken. And so the fact that the snare is broken implies that we are unable to be caught again. So it's this picture of total and lasting freedom. So not just like our God, maybe he's delivered us today, but it's like, no, our God so sure is his deliverance for us that as long as we are his, we know we will never be caught again. We will never be caught. And, and because in this illustration, we're the little birds, we don't have the opposable thumbs. We don't, the, the bird cage is designed to hold the bird. So the snare wasn't broken by the bird. God came and broke open these, these cages or these traps for birds to, to let them go. So David began by emphasizing the calamity that awaits us apart from God, but now he's stressing God's continual protection over his people. If you are a follower of Jesus... He is daily, moment by moment, always watching over you. We never have to be afraid. We, whatever danger we're facing, whatever we see, you do not have to be afraid if you are in Christ because your God is greater. There's, there's verses that, that Jesus talks about other places in the Bible where it's like, why would you fear like these, these other dangers or these other you know, calamities or, or natural disasters? Fear God who's in charge of all of it. Like He's the one who is who is so much greater, so much more powerful than those things. So we can ask how, in what way, to what extent is God continually, day by day, watching over us and protecting us? Well, on the one hand, I think God is sovereign, so all of the good things that happen to us, we can give him the credit for. We we can know that the good things that happen in our lives, they're not just by chance, but rather we know that God is in control and he is sovereign. We also know that Uh, Because he's sovereign, we can trust that all of the bad things that could happen to us but don't, we can trust that that is also God protecting us. And if we don't have a very good sense or awareness of the calamity that awaits us apart from God, then we might not appreciate that very much. But I think that is immense, all of the things that God is actively protecting us against. And then I think there's just the things that, that we take for granted that are part of our faith that we go on, or things that maybe we attribute to ourselves, but really, it's God. And to illustrate that, in college, uh, I had a friend who wasn't Christian, and he and I were in this season, we would talk about the gospel and, and the Bible and God like most days. And uh, I was very zealous and bold in my faith in those days, um, but I was also a little bit like a hammer when it came to like arguments. And so I, I got to the point with this guy where I realized... I really want him to be a Christian, but I don't think it's going to be for me at this point because I don't think he's ever going to want to admit that I'm right about something because of just how I went at it with him. But um, we were talking and arguing, and he asked me a question at one point. He's like, Rob, do you think you would ever walk away from God? And what would that take? Do you think you would ever walk away from God? And what would that take? And I thought about it. And this is... Man, I was just so on fire for God in this day. And so I thought about it, and I was like, man, I mean, I, I conceive of that happening. I know that happens. Um, and I know the Bible talks about being watchful about that. I could never see that happening. I just, I can't see it. Like, I, I love God so much. I know what he's done for me. Um, I just feel so like, at his mercy. I feel his grace over me. I don't think I could ever see that happening. And about two or three years later, I hit the lowest point I ever hit in my life. And I was at this point where I was like, I think I want to walk away from the faith. I, I, and I, I remembered that moment, in that moment, and I was like, wow, I, I don't think I ever would have gotten here. I don't think I ever would have wanted to do this. But I was at this point where I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I had been um, letting my spiritual disciplines kind of fall away, not being saturated in God's word. Uh, and yet I was still in ministry, so I felt all of the work of Christianity. And I was like, this just... This feels impossible to me. I don't know if I can do this. And the fact that I am standing here today, I can only attribute to God. And so I realize now that we do not walk by sight. We do not walk by our own strength. We walk by the faith that God gives us, and we, we walk by his strength. We walk by his grace. We walk by his mercy. And he is the one that holds on to us and does not let us go. And so, I think that's the supernatural grace of God in me, and I'm, I'm here by that grace, and so are you. The fact that you are still here, that is God's grace. Like, some of you in this room have been following God for 10, 20, 30, 40, maybe more years, I don't even know. That's a miracle. Like, praise God, amen? amen. That, is, that is absolutely amazing, and that is not something that we take for granted. Because there's a very real enemy in this world, both both the enemies of our religion, like human enemies, as well as spiritual enemies that, that want to draw us away from our God, and they want to wipe Christianity in God's name off of the earth. And so we're here by the grace of God, and, and if maybe for some of you, if you haven't decided where you are with Jesus or, or what you want to do with that, and that's not your story, I still believe that you're here. The fact that you're here, that means God is doing something in you. There's a reason that you're here, and there's a reason that you're hearing this. And my God, who I know to be very real, I believe may be drawing you to himself so that you would know the love and the grace that he has for you and the deep longing he has to bring you under his continual protection from all of the things in this world. David is writing and singing that we would remember God's continual protection over us. When you allow secret sin into your life and you keep it hidden from others, that's dangerous. Sin is destructive. And you will always be worse off for it. The sin that you hold on to is going to continue to poison you and warp you and do everything it can to stop God's transformative work in your life. So never believe the lie that there is a harmless sin. Never doubt the danger of sin. But never doubt that God will finish the good work that he began in you. Never doubt that God is protecting you, that he is with you, that he is going to bring you back. And that doesn't mean that you can just kind of go limp and just be like, all right, I'm not going to, I'm just going to let go and let God, and I'm not going to try. Like, I, that's not biblical. Don't take that away from this. That's not what I'm saying. However, there is a confidence that we can have in the face of danger because of the strength of our God. Amen? Amen. God will forever preserve his people. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You are a child of God if you have trusted in Christ. You've escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and you've escaped. So as horrifying as our enemy is in the face of our helplessness, we can live confidently, with total confidence, Knowing that our God is on our side, and He is mighty to save and He is quick to help, and so that second purpose of God's continual of us remembering God's continual protection over us combines with that first purpose, and I think it it works to amplify our praise. That uh, we can start with the question: Maybe when we worship God, like what does it take to really get a reaction out of you? Like you can show up to church and you can put your hands in the air and you can sing, uh, but like. What does it take to really like break your heart into this state of absolute praise and awe and wonder and worship before God? What does that take? I think if we're not recognizing God's mighty, amazing love and grace in our life every single day, as well as all of the, the danger and the horrors that await us apart from God that we, we can't really see, but, but if we only could just understand that if God just took his hands away, all of the all of the things that would come crashing down upon the people of God who have the spiritual target on their back. Like that is this amazing tension that's pulling us in in both directions and, and I think stretching us into this place where we cannot help but worship God and cannot help but but love him. I, and so the picture I think of is I can't I, I wanted to include a movie reference. I couldn't think of one. I'm sure there are they're out there. I know I've seen this But, like, just the idea of somebody just kind of, like, walking down the road, completely oblivious oblivious to the world around them. And there's all of these, like, there's, like, semi-trucks coming. They're, like, walking across traffic or something. Uh, and, and, And God is just there, and he's just stopping everything. He's like, stop the truck, stop the car, stop, you know, like, they bend over, and, like, there's this crane that, like, swings over them or something. And it's just, like, all of these things are happening, and God is protecting them throughout every single second of it. And that's your life every single day, that you can walk in total obliviousness to the spiritual dangers around you, and yet God is at war for you. Amen? Amen. He is constantly protecting us, constantly saving us. That brings us to our third purpose, which is that we would find our help in the Lord. So David concludes, uh, apart from God, we will not survive. God is continually protecting us, and so he he closes this song, with this reminder in verse 8. He says, Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. In this life, you have one help. And it's not your job. It's not your family. It's not your savings. Those things can be helpful. But the one thing standing between you and destruction is the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth, who made and is sovereign over all things. If you try to live by any other help, it will fail you. The enemies, the forces of evil that are poised against the children of God are waiting to swallow you whole, to drown you in a raging flood, to tear you apart with their teeth, to catch you in this inescapable trap. Peter describes Satan like a prowling lion. And that's kind of what I think about when I read that verse where he talks about you've not given us as prey to their teeth. Like Satan and, and the, the picture that we get from, from Peter of, of, of demons and spiritual forces is like that of a lion poised to pounce on us and grab us. And yet... The thing that's holding them back is like' like we're a child, and like our our dad, God, who's this big, strong lions are afraid of him, I don't know what, what he is, lion hunter, he's with us and and the lions like, all right i'm not I'm not going to engage, I'm not going to do it, but he's just he's just waiting for God to leave us alone and to let us go so he can pounce on us and just imagine if there was a lion poised in the corner of every single room you were in, waiting, but it's because you're with your God. Would't you come a little closer? Maybe hold his hand and say, okay, let's, let's do this together. Let's not, let's not go our separate ways. Paul describes the devil laying traps for you. He talks about traps and snares that, that Satan, that the devil has, to catch us in our weakness. That's the reality. Your enemy is stronger than you. He's smarter than you. He's more strategic than you. You're not going to outwit Satan. I remember reading uh, C.S. Lewis's um, <laughs> um, uh, The Screwtape Letters, Right? I don't know how many of you are familiar, familiar, but it's this uh, kind of this fiction thing that C.S. Lewis does where he's writing from the perspective of demons who are like trying to tempt Christians. And it's kind of like this upside down view where you kind of realize like, oh, this is maybe how Satan would think about trying to mess with us. And that's helpful for me to know how I could like follow God better. and uh, and But it's talking about a lot of tactics that like Satan uses. And I remember in college reading that and another guy was reading it and he said like, I wonder like maybe we shouldn't talk about this like because like, you know, maybe Satan would, like, hear us and, like, know our strategy. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure Satan can read. Like, I don't know, but, like, maybe he can't hold a book. I, I mean, I, I, I just, I'm pretty sure that's, like, I'm pretty sure he's way smarter than anything we can come up with. It's not your strategy. It's not whatever you have that is letting you win and have victory over the enemy. It is your God. It is absolutely only your God and so in, in our spiritual disciplines, like that's, we don't trust in our spiritual disciplines. Our spiritual disciplines are designed to bring us to God, right? We don't trust in our evangelism tactics or arguments. Like those things are designed to bring the grace of God and, and to demonstrate and show the grace of God in our lives and, and to the people that we're speaking with. But it's all the work of God, and he is our one help. There is one road ahead that includes our survival, and that is the road in which we Rely and depend on the help of God. Anything else that we try to do, if we try to separate ourselves from that, we will not succeed. And so I think the implication here, if, if our help is in the name of the Lord, don't stop asking for His help. Don't start trusting in His help. Don't start seeking His help. Don't don't stop. Don't stop. I said I said stop. Right? I, I think I said start. Don't stop. Don't stop asking for His help. <laughs> When you feel stressed, when you feel overwhelmed, when you're, when you're, uh, when you're tempted by sin, when you're, when you're tempted to, to numb your pain, to numb whatever it is, or, or to distract yourself from life, like there's something about the pain in our life that it drives us to our God, and that's the place where we want to be. And so there's something good and beautiful about us actually taking the things that are, are wrong with our lives, the things that, that break our hearts, the things that... Uh, just the things that we long for that we just hurt that we can't have, and taking those things to God and saying, God, this is what I'm feeling. Help. You are my help. I just pray that you would either give me what this is that I want or, or give me the power to be content without it, but that we would be coming to him and not just distracting ourselves or trying to cope with, with the world as it is. It drives us to our true help. It's, it's kind of like like leprosy in the Bible is this disease where like, you know, you you can't feel pain anymore, and so then you don't know when your body is hurt, and then your flesh starts to, like, you have wounds that don't heal because you're not giving them what they need to heal, and, and so it just becomes this destructive thing because you're not able to feel, and God has given us pain so that we can come to him. <clears throat> and so all of this, all of these three purposes, I think, lead us to this point where we're able to, to be reflecting and preparing our heart to worship Jesus, so that we would realize the calamity that awaits us apart from God, that we would remember that our God is continually watching over us and protecting us, and that we would find our help in the Lord. And when we find our help in the Lord, that brings us to this place of absolute worship of our God, who is our sovereign protector. God has given us Jesus, right? We The ultimate need that we had was the need of our sin the need of, of me having rebelled against God and being broken broken and, and tainted and, and stuck in my sin, unable to be perfect, unable, like people talk about oh, I, I'm going to heaven or hell, oh, I'm good enough or bad enough. Or, you, no one can be good enough. No one can be perfect. No one can be good enough to be the perfect picture and, 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 and image of what God created us to be. It's so much greater, and we have fallen so far short of that. We were so stuck in our sin that we were absolutely beyond help from anything that any human can do. And yet, God, the only one who could help us, was our help. And how did he help us? Any, any thoughts coming up to Easter Sunday? He gave us Jesus. He gave his own son. And Jesus was nailed to a cross so that we could fly free. And so I think the imitation there, as we remember that coming up to Easter, is that we would ask, what is holding me back from just coming to Jesus, worshiping him? What is holding me back from a deep just rich relationship with his word, with him through his word that I can just come to and and just, just camp out in a passage of scripture and just soak in that throughout the day? What is keeping me from that? What is keeping me from a deep, rich prayer life in which I am just continually coming to God throughout my day? What is stopping me from that? I think what we're seeing in the psalm is that what we can remember is we, we come to prepare our hearts for a, just a state of worship together in this season, is that we would be remembering, uh, realizing all of the, the, the disaster and the calamity that awaits us apart from God and, and our dependence on Him, and that we realize His answer to that dependence, that He is continually constantly stopping all the things in our life and that we would therefore find our help in him and cast ourselves before him. Bring your sin, bring your weakness, bring your shame, whatever it is that's keeping you back and just say, God, help. I cannot get myself in shape to be in, in the in, the, in the place, in the heart condition that I need to be in uh, to, to be in communion with you. I need you. I need your help with that. So God, help me with these spiritual disciplines. God, help me with this sin or 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 habit or addiction that I'm struggling to kick. God, help me to to manage the stress that's that's in my life. Whatever those things are, God help. He is our help. And so as we go about our life, we can find that help in him. So that brings us again just back to our big idea that in the face of overwhelming danger, God calls us to find our help in him. And so as we close and, and move to worship, I just want to invite you to be thinking about where are you looking for help? Where are you trusting in your life? Where are you trying to cope? Where are you trying to numb pain? Or where are you like trusting in you? know This is what's going to help me. These are the things that I depend on. And maybe you've gotten to a point where you just think of, of prayer and reading the Bible and service as just these like kind of Christian obligations that you need to do. That's not what they are. They bring us closer to our true help. And he is the only road forward for us that does not result in us just completely falling apart. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord God, I just want to thank you this morning for your continual, ongoing help in our lives, that you are constantly watching over us, constantly protecting us. Lord, we take you for granted every single day. Lord, I pray that you would help us in this season, bring us closer to you. We're not, we're not coming to worship you because it's something that like you need. Lord, no, we're coming to worship you so that, so that you can be glorified and that we can just benefit from being close to you. And, and being able to see and respond to your glory. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bring that into our lives, o- our lives open our eyes, and help us to see and, and know you in this way. And I just pray for whatever things that, that are keeping us from you, Lord, that you would knock those down. Whatever barriers, whatever enemies, whatever things that are holding us back from you, knock those down, Lord, and bring us closer to your warm, uh, intimate, loving embrace. pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.